to Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio, and this is a very special edition of Real Estate Coaching Radio. We have a special announcement, um, something that we've been asked to literally embargo, a story that we've been asked to sit on uh, from one of our, um, I'd say our friends in the industry, move.com. Uh, and uh, Mr. Ventura, our producer, is going to share a little bit of the backstory and how we came about uh, with, came up with the story, how, you know, basically everything that led up to us being able to break this news to all of you. Um, and Mr. Ventura, are you on the line? Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you, Tim. This is a story that we were asked to hold back on for a little while. And I think part of the reason is the complexity involved with this. This is definitely a story that has kind of a lot of twists and turns in it, as we're going to learn more about today. And so I, I'm really pleased to announce that tomorrow we will be having Celeste Starchild, the general manager of List Hub, on the show to discuss this in detail herself. But today, what I would like to announce, and what you and Julie will definitely have a, a, just an interesting time discussing, is an announcement of an industry letter just released today by ListHub that describes the failure of negotiations with Zillow to renew the listing syndication contract and provides additional details on what it means for ListHub, Zillow, and the industry. Now, in this case, it appears that they're attempting to set the record straight and correct any mistaken impressions that the public might have about their negotiations with Zillow. So we're going to go through what we know as the latest news on this breaking news story and discuss what it means to the industry. That's right. And, and as always, this is Real Estate Coaching Radio, and our focus is on delivering information that's practical that can uh, you guys can use to help others and make money. So as much as this is sort of a top-line story, because it really is, it is relevant because, after all, I mean, essentially, where your buyer leads come from, where your, a lot of your listing leads come from, are all intertwined with this story. So here's how we're going to run the show today, guys. Of course, my lovely wife, Julie, is on. Julie? Hi, guys. A pleasure to be here, as always. Okay, great. So, Tim, you wrote an intro. I think you may have just covered it. And Julie's got the talking points that we've thus far. And, guys, we are just giving this press release, like, literally, what, a half hour before the show, Tim? Yeah, yeah. We, we just got this. Okay, so let's go through the talking points. And, Julie, while you're reading the points that Tim's already pulled out for us, I know Tim is still reading some other stuff. So he can uh, then, um, if he finds anything relevant, also bring it to our attention. So let's, let's kind of blaze through the talking points, and then what we'll do is we'll kind of, uh, I think, draw a circle around the ones that are extra important that might be most uh, readily relevant to our uh, agents, MLSs, and brokers that are listening in. Make sense? Absolutely makes sense. So feel free to jump in and up, interrupt me if you need to, if you want me to stop on a particular point. But as uh, our producer said, there are lots of twists and turns here. So I'm going to go through these bullet points. This might be something for our listeners to just jot down the high points so you can follow along the story. A lot has occurred here. So I'm going to jump into these bullet points. On January 6th, Zillow's Chief Revenue Officer, Greg Schwartz, said, we've not been able to come to terms with News Corp that the List Hub agreement will most definitely expire, according to Inman News. 
According to Inman, quote, he declined to elaborate further on negotiations between the two companies. So then the same day, again, January 6th, Zillow announced the launch of a new, quote, data dashboard, which is a listing management and reporting platform that the company says puts more control over listings in the hands of MLS members and brokers. So giving more control using that data dashboard to MLS members and brokers, which are most of our listeners here. So hopefully you guys are paying attention to this story. The next point, the story was framed as ListHub cutting off Zillow based on the Inman story titled, quote, Rupert Mur Murdoch, playing, Murdoch sorry, playing hardball with Zillow, unquote. And quotes from the story like, there's been a long speculation that ListHub, which is owned by Realtor.com operator Move Inc., might cut off the flow of listings to rival sites like Zillow and Trulia. Well, so that leads to the next point. After the current List Hub syndication agreement expires, but Julie, on Julie, April let's 7th. jump. Yes. Julie, let me clarify something there. Sure. Sorry for interrupting you. So what's no worth worries. mentioning, and what I think that uh, Move is wanting to put on the record, or List Hub is rather wanting to put out there, is that, and Tim, you're the one that's been, uh, you know, putting the story together, is that um, Move didn't essentially just cancel the agreement. Uh, I mean, List Hub, you know, Move guys, you know, remember List Hub is owned by Move. They didn't just simply cancel the agreement and say, okay, we're cutting off listing data to Zillow. It didn't happen like that, correct? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it is interesting because, you know, like looking at this, I mean, it, it seems pretty obvious from that Inman story title and then the takeaway that I had from the quote, it looks like ListHub, our, our initial impression was ListHub is cutting them off. And, um, and so it looks like today's response is, is basically trying to set the record straight on that. That's right. There's, so in other words, just to be clear, it's uh, evident that um, ListHub is going on the record and Move is going on the record by saying Zillow walked away from the negotiation table. ListHub didn't just simply say we're not renewing, correct? Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think Julie still has a couple of talking points left on that where, where okay. that, that details a little bit more. <laughs> Yeah, right. no worries. Well, so so after the current List Hub syndication agreement actually expires on April 7th of this year, List Hub will no longer provide listings to Zillow. That's, I believe, an established fact at this point, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Those brokers, though, who wish to continue providing their content to Zillow must establish their own agreements and technology solution to support any future relationship with Zillow. So they're throwing it back to the brokers to populate that. And again, this is based on April 7th when the agreement expires. Now, let's fast forward to today. ListHub released today a, quote, industry letter regarding this story that completely changes our understanding of the story as we've been talking about. According to their letter written by ListHub General Manager Celeste Starchild, and again, Celeste will be on the show tomorrow so she can continue this discussion. So according to the industry letter, written by Celeste of ListHub, Zillow actually chose to back out of the renewal agreement negotiations with ListHub voluntarily. Now, according to this same industry letter, ListHub had been continuing to negotiate in good faith with Zillow to renew the listing syndication agreement under a set of terms that they've posted online for review. So in the industry letter, ListHub also reaffirms that it will, quote, continue to perform listing distribution to all the other websites that we support today. And again, Tim, you'll be having 
Celeste Char Starchild from List Hub on tomorrow, and I'm sure that you'll be getting into this even more deeply and answering some of those questions. So that's a good time to drill down on some of these big unanswered questions in the story, which would be what? I mean, what what is this causing industry-wide? Why do we care so much about this story? The big question is, and we've yet to get this answered, and um, I've uh, personally, those of you guys have been following this story, you, you guys know I've been trying to get uh, going to different sources to get the bottom line on this. It was um, Inman who a couple times, and I think the last, the latest, most recent time rather was through, uh, September, October, maybe December of last year, had a quote from a List Hub executive saying that something like 60 or 63 percent, I believe it was, of all the listings appearing on Zillow were provided by List Hub. So the big question is, is whether that is still true. Oh, obviously after April it's going to be zero. But I'm curious personally, how long, if, if it, is it possible that Zillow will be able to replace all the listings, assuming that 60 or 63% number was accurate, is it possible that they'll be able to replace all those listings lost uh, at the expiration of the List Hub uh, contract in April? I mean, that's really the big question. Right. And what are the ramifications if they don't? Now, if they don't, those of you guys who are buying leads, um, well, you know, it's called, you know, Zillow obviously calls it buying impressions, which, which it is, but you guys are buying impressions for the sake of getting buyer leads, so I just call it buying leads. For those of you who are buying leads, uh, what happens if all of a sudden your area does not have the same level of exposure? You know, most markets, there's multiple MLSs, and what if Zillow has an agreement, you know, maybe with a handful of the local brokers, but not all of them? That means it's possible, and I'd love to get someone from Zillow to do a radio show with us. That'd be great. But it's possible that, you know, the coverage of listings will be spotty. So if you're reliant on Zillow for the sake of uh, buyer leads, and as we go into the spring, which is, you know, obviously it's going to be happening in April, a lot of agents, uh, if that does happen, if Zillow is not able to replace all of their relationships, which I don't know if it's possible that they can, but if they're not able to do that, what does that mean to an individual practitioner's business? I mean, Julie, we deal with this on a coaching level every day. Agents who are just basically locked into this paradigm sure. of buying leads, I'm fearful mm -hmm. for them. And that's really what motivates Absolutely. If you're uh, overly dependent, yeah. definitely they're at risk. Because I was just rereading one of these points. Brokers who wish to continue providing their content to Zillow must establish their own agreements and technology solution to support any future relationship with Zillow. So I wonder how many brokers across the country even know that fact that that's what yeah. they're supposed to be doing if they want to continue that relationship with Zillow. So, I mean, statistically, I'm not sure that it can be recreated. Just the sheer numbers seem crazy. Yeah, I thought. mean, you're talking about, obviously. So, Tim, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I had some additional thoughts as well. You mentioned something a moment ago that I'm not sure about. Um, is Zillow obligated to remove those list hub listings from their database when this agreement expires? Or do those listings stick around and get stale? And then if they get stale, do they have any obligation to, to remove them over time? You know, because, I mean, I would imagine, and I might be incorrect about this, but, you know, I mean, Zillow has so much data in this database that they may not even be completely sure where it all comes from. Maybe all mixed together, you know. So what we do know is they've already got, you know, all of these, what, hundreds of thousands or millions of listings in this database. And those listings, on a day-to-day -day basis, they age as the properties get sold, they get taken off the market, this, that, and the other thing. Thing, you know, so that data is always aging, but in the past, it's always been refreshed from ListHub. Now, 
when that list hub feed quits, either they're required to pull some X number, right, several hundred thousand or more listings out of their database, which they may not be able to do, or else those listings basically just become kind of like ghost listings where they stay in there, but then they're no longer being refreshed. And that would mean that it's possible that, that uh, Zillow data could become incredibly inaccurate over a period of just a few months. Well, you bring up an interesting point. If they're going to have, if they're going to basically try to replace the list hub uh, feed with uh, direct feeds from agents, brokers, I mean, well, brokers and MLSs, and they're trying to form all these individual relationships, then the question becomes, how do they police the quality of the content that's getting loaded up on to their website from these various feeds? I mean, we know from um, interviewing Celeste Starchild from List Hub before, that that's something that they really make great strides to do is make sure the data that they're syndicating to all their their uh, customers, Zillow having been one of them, is accurate. You know, and that's been something I know that's been a real focal point in the industry, making sure that listing data on the MLS is correct. Now, agents know that if you put up a listing, and this is kind of touching on the challenges a lot of um, a lot of the agents have with uh, Zillow and Trillian uh, in particular, is that they're getting leads or buyer calls and you know from uh, buyers asking about listings that are no longer for sale. I mean, that's one of the things you hear a lot of folks complaining about, a lot of agents complaining about, is that they're having to essentially explain to their uh, potential customers that, well, that house has not been for sale for a long time or it's, just not an ac- it's now pending, whereas before, all that type of thing. So I would imagine the policing, Tim, and you're the one that's the technology guy, but I would imagine... I mean, how could you possibly, with getting all these various feeds from all these you know, many different sources, tracking all that, putting a uniform system in place to control the quality of that data, I, I, the word impossible comes to mind. I mean, that was the advantage of basically getting a majority of your data from ListHub. They were in charge of that. That was their, uh, you know, that, that is their purpose is to really do a great job of choosing who they're going to share the, the data with, you know, as far as who their customers are going to be and make sure the data is accurate. I mean, Tim, from a technological standpoint, I can't imagine what a challenge that is. That's got to be crazy. Well, Tim, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, in terms of maintaining a database of this size, you know, it's likely that Zillow does track where all of those leads come from, and they may even have a, a relatively decent way to track, um, you know, how, how stale those leads potentially are. But, um, yeah, I mean, without having incoming data to refresh that, you know, I think that these accuracy issues that, that many have accused Zillow of will just get worse over time. You know, and then I think it, it also brings up a lot of other questions. One of the questions that I have when we were working with Moo on this story, and we have to wait to ask Celeste directly about this, is Zillow has just completed a merger with Trulia. That was just approved. So you have two different databases that more or less belong to the same company. Now, is Trulia going to continue getting updated with ListHub data? And then if so, is there some kind of permeability between these two data sets? Or are you going to have the same company relying on data from two different places? It gets very, very complicated very rapidly. And in a sense, it gets kind of scary because now you have you know, what used to be a relatively clean stream of data that had the occasional error here and there, had the occasional problem here or there, you know, now it's, it's you've got listings coming from everywhere and, you know, who knows how fresh any of this data is, I suppose. 
Well, so, I mean, this is all relevant stuff, but again, this is real estate coaching radio, so we have to make this relevant to agents, brokers, MLSs, and all of our customers. Um, Julie, I'm wondering, from a coach's perspective, this kind of goes back to the drum beat that we've been, you know, focused on since, you know, forever, seven, eight years. You got to learn to, you know, generate your own leads. You got to list the last. You have to really accept the fact that the days of being able to, again, I know some of you don't like it when I say this, oh, Tim, we're not buying buyer leads, we're buying impressions, and I respect your stance, but the reality of it is, is at the end of the day, you are buying leads, okay? And, and listen, guys, there's a flip side to this. And like I said, I'm really hoping to get a representative from uh, Zillow. Spencer's been on the show before, you know, years ago, and it was called Superstar Interviews. I'm hoping I can get him back on, um, the CEO of uh, Zillow. But it's possible that Zillow has been preparing themselves and are further along in making up for the potential losses from the List Hub expiration than any of us know. I mean, we'll find out in April. But we're kind of, uh, our minds are going to, what do we have to, you know, how can we prepare agents in the event that they aren't uh, able to make up for the lost listings? How can you guys as uh, individual practitioners, if you are still dependent on buying buyer leads, how can you prepare yourselves um, so that, frankly, you know, you're not taken out of the industry yourself because you don't have business coming in? So, Julie, what are the thoughts that come to mind? Yeah, there's a lot of thoughts thoughts that come to mind, but most primarily that you should do an assessment of just how dependent or not dependent you are on this type of paid-for lead system. So you can tell yourself how closely you need to be paying attention to this. That's on one level is, you know, don't be hiding out thinking the story is going to go away because clearly it's not. Then the next question is, what are you supposed to do about it? So a smart agent decides how many listings they need to drive their business and looks at where their listings are going to come from. Now, we know as coaches and as people who have sold a ton of real estate that each listing should spin you off at least one more listing in the neighborhood, if not a whole handful or more of buyers. You know, I was just on a coaching call with an agent. She's, we're calling her open houses uh, block parties now because she's getting so many people to her own self-generated open houses, and she's definitely getting listing leads from that. So become your own listing lead generator is really your hedge against any of these uh, things biting you, essentially. And how do you do that? Well, you utilize things like 1-800-HOME-HOTLINE where you're generating leads from your own sign. I think that what we might see is more traffic to agent individual sites and broker sites Remember back before we had all of these online sources, you could search for, you know, you could type in, I'm looking for a home in Atlanta, and agent names would pop up, brokers' names would pop up first before you'd see Zillow and Trulia and a million other sites who are trying to be Zillow and Trulia, et cetera. So I think the byproduct of this is going to be better traffic to agent signs, open houses, self-generated marketing, just listed, just bold types of cards, et cetera, and their own websites, their own Facebook, all of those things probably will be more powerful because now agents can say, I am the hub for accurate data in our marketplace. Right. You don't so you need said to go to other places. You yeah. said WayneHeadedHomeHotline.com. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. um, so that would be a great source for getting uh, your own leads off your own, own signs. But, right. right. But, Julie, a lot of these guys, and you know this is true, a lot of these guys don't know how to, or at least not consistently take listings. And a lot well, of agents are coming to us. To, yeah. 
<laughs> well, isn't it? I mean, a lot of agents are coming to us. A majority of agents. I mean, we did a story the other day on Inman, you know, talking about, hey, are you burned out on uh, working with buyers? Learn how to become a listing agent. Mm-hmm. And people love that story. And you know what really surprised me is a lot of the points that we talked about. They weren't that, revol- you know, they weren't that. Yeah, they were good it's points, but they weren't that, great. But every agent can figure it out. It's it's not like right. rocket science, really. Right. So help me understand, Julie. What's the mindset of an agent? who's, um, you know, they want to work listings, but they haven't learned how to work listings yet. Because, guys, you've got to be clear in your heads. That's the, that's the best part of this industry. Working listings, becoming a listing agent. Here's just a little quick thought for you, okay? It's what we call the real estate magic number. It's worth talking about. It's worth understanding and embrace this. Every one of you have a magic number, and that magic number is simply the number of listings that you need at all times. Now, I'll make it real simple. For the most part, if in many markets, if you had you know, five listings at all times or 10 listings at all times, let's just work off the number 10. And let's assume that the average, your average sale price in your market is $200,000 because that's the average sale price more or less in the United States. So if you had 10 listings at all times and the average sale price is $200,000, let's say the average you know, commission is uh, whatever it is in your particular market, let's say you know, 5 or 6%. You know, whatever the average is, might be 7%, might be 4%. You'll have to know what your number is. But we know that the reality of it is, is that every single month, you're going to have a certain number of homes sell. Uh, they're priced right. They're in the MLS. Um, you know, you're not necessarily uh, dealing with a lot of it, just normal, good, ordinary sellers. Not distressed, not anything, just normal sellers. Hopefully, you guys have all been blessed with a lot of those listings. You, you know as well as I do, in every market across the country, you'd have two to three houses sell per month. So if you had 10 active listings at all times, the average uh, sale price is $200,000, and you had two to three sell per month, let's just say three. In most markets, that would mean before broker splits or anything, but gross commission-wise, you'd be making close to $20,000 at all times. Now, some of you, I'm thinking of all of our friends on the East Coast, all of our coaching clients, in uh, California, where your average sale price is seven or eight hundred thousand, I have coaching clients in New York whose average sale price is two and a half million. Well, you know, you don't have to have ten listings at all times. If you had three listings at all times and you had one sell per month, well, you guys can do the math on that too. I mean, just think about that. For all of you in the Midwest, we have clients who literally have to sell, you know, five or six houses per month. Or, I'm sorry, per year, and you know they're making seven hundred and fifty, eight hundred fifty thousand dollars. Know your market, know what your average, or know what your magic number is. Again, the magic number is the number of listings you need at all times, knowing that once you have those listings, that on average you'll have, let's say, 10 or 20% sell out of the MLS every month. In other words, they'll sell co-op. All you do is focus then on replacing what sells. You get it? So your magic number, the really the pathway for everything you're looking for in this industry you're looking for freedom, you're looking for you know, control, you're looking for predict- predictable, duplicatable income. It all comes from building and then maintaining a certain number of listings at all times. If you guys need any help with understanding that concept or figuring out what your own magic number is, of course go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. So Julie, let's get back on this. Help me understand. Help the listeners understand. Those who are on the fence, who would love to become listing agents, why is it that it seems so hard for so many of them to embrace the concept? Well, I think there's a lot going on. A lot of it is a mindset issue. Part of it, I think it starts with the fact that not every agent 
that each agent knows is a great listing agent. There are fewer great listing agents than there are buyer's agents, so they're not they're literally not exposed to it in the same way they are driving buyers around, going to open houses, doing the buyer thing, right? So the second thing is many agents think, well, you know, I'm okay taking listings of my friends and family, but gosh, if I have to compete for a listing, I'm not sure that I'm ready to do that at that level. I'm not sure, like if somebody puts me on the spot and says, what makes you different? Why should I list with you versus whoever? Why would they choose me? I mean, if it's my friend or my cousin, they already know, love, and trust me. But what if I have to be up against maybe two or three other agents, which is also probably why I'm not as good at my lead follow-up as I should be. And it's probably not why, it's probably why I don't do things like maybe outgoing calls, otherwise known as prospecting. Maybe I don't even market that much because I'm afraid of what it might create because I'm not sure how to answer that question, what makes me different. So it's fear of competing is what I hear you say. And it's fear of success, really, fear of competing and fear of success. I see this when agents over-prequalify a seller. You know, they're getting close. Hmm. The seller doesn't know them. And they ask, you know, what price do you think your home is worth? And the seller says 350 but they know it's 300 Well, they immediately rationalize, well, I didn't want that listing anyway because the seller's overpriced, without asking using a nice, tight seller prequalification script that leads to the listing presentation, not to mention the pre-listing package. Things like 350 that's interesting. How did you arrive at that price? And then figuring out if they have to sell, Maybe they price that off their neighbor's house out of market ignorance, and you can still list it at, say, 299 where it should be, but they over-prequalify because they're looking for reasons for it not to work out, which costs well, money and, in the long run. And, Julie, run. You, you always say, and it's this is a good point, mm-hmm. that we're, working with buyers is physical labor. Working with sellers sure. is mental labor. What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Well, working with buyers, you know, literally it's physical labor because you're out there it's, it's in some cases has harder labor than others, right? But you're out there physically driving around, you're using your navigation, you're, you know, burning up lots of gas, fiddling with lock boxes all day long. So it, it is really physical labor when you think about it. Then listings, it is absolutely mental power, right? It's mental labor. Why? Because you have to be able to generate the lead in the first place, know how to follow up, pre-qualify do a great listing presentation, handle objections, know how to close. And then you also have to deal with actually having the listing. I get this question all the time. What if I actually get that listing? What am I supposed to tell the seller I'm going to do to sell it? So you've got to have a listing plan of action. There's, you know, One thing leads to the next, and it causes a lot of mental work power to have to happen. And I think that some agents just you know, maybe they don't recognize what it is they have to do, which is where coaching comes in. But also it's, you know, gosh, fear of success. What if I had to do that? What if I actually have to deal with, for some agents, it's sellers at all. But for a lot of agents, they'll say, well, gosh, you know, I'm I'm used to having two or three listings at the same time, but you're asking me to get to 10. How do I manage all that business? So there's a lot of mental turmoil that happens. But I think if listeners listen to one of the previous shows about becoming a great listing agent, they'll realize that listings are the key to happiness. The more listings you have, the more time you have, the more leverage you have, the more income well, you have. Billy, You're a self-generating you machine. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something interesting, and I think we should probably wrap the show. And guys, remember, we're going to have Celeste Starchild from uh, List Hub, and we're going to have hopefully a lot of great questions for her tomorrow, um, a lot of clarifications that MOVE wanted to get out about what actually transpired with the expiration of the Zillow List Hub agreement. But, Julie, I think it's really important, too, and this probably is maybe, you know, at the end of the day, guys, if you get this next concept, 
you are going to forever have your perspective on real estate change. And here it is. Write this in your notes. Please, I know a lot of you guys are listening to us on mobile, so just get this really clear in your head. When you're focused on all the different uh, types of folks you can work with in the real estate business, uh, you know, and you're thinking about buyers, and you know, sure, obviously buyers buy properties all the time, but the problem ultimately worth working with buyers, and a lot of you guys have experienced this, and this is what, you know, burns you out. This is what frustrates you, is that there's no such thing as a buyer that has to buy. In other words, a buyer can always rent, and that's oftentimes what they do. Faced with just a little bit of a headwind, too much competition, rise in the interest rate, stress at home, stress at work, da 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 the holidays. What do they say? We'll just stay put. We're going to extend the lease. Or we're going to not sell the house. We're going to, in essence, not do a transaction, regardless of how much time, energy, and oftentimes money you've already spent on helping them, you know, basically find a home. Julie, could you describe to the listeners how, what the difference between uh, a buyer is that always will, will want to buy versus a seller that has to sell. Help them understand because that is the essence of why sellers are always gold. That's right, and sellers are gold. This is one of the reasons why it is harder to be a great listing agent because there are sellers who absolutely positively have to sell. Underline the words have to, not just want to sell. Sellers that have to sell, getting divorced, The divorce decree says you will be selling the house, getting relocated. You want your new job? Guess what? you got to move from city to city, and chances are they have to sell, have to sell their home, especially as you go up market, because keeping it as a rental doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the relocating executive. People who can no longer afford the payment, they're going to be short seller foreclosure. Keeping the house is not an option. You can't say that about buyers, because buyers, no matter what the price range or the situation is, Every single buyer can either live with mom and dad or their kids in some cases, or they can just rent, period. I'm hearing more from the uh, even amongst executive relocation where maybe they're only going to be there for 8 or 12 months for that particular part of their job, and they're being advised to rent. So even in some of the cases that sound that motivated, you know, you want listings. Look at it this way, Tim. If you had to choose 10 active, you know, really ready to rumble, good quality buyers, or 10 have-to-sell sellers, which would you rather have? Well, every agent knows the answer to that question, don't they? I mean, so guys, that's really the bottom line. If you, think, if you look at all the transactions that you've ever closed, um, you look at all the sellers that you've ever worked with, and let's just say you've been on the buyer side for at least 80% of them, and you do know the motivation of the sellers, you're going to find that a vast majority of the ones that sold were selling because they had to. Now, there are going to be some exceptions, the flippers who are doing it for profit and there's things of that nature, but a vast majority of the transactions out there, the listings that successfully sell, sell because the sellers have to sell. They have to sell. They don't want to sell. You know, the ones that burn us out, obviously, as agents are the ones that say, if I can get my price, you know, when pigs fly, those types of unmotivated sellers, be on the lookout for those. But the ones that actually result in a closed transaction nine times out of ten are the ones that have to sell. Okay, just to review, guys, whatever happens with Zillow and ListHub and Zillow's own access to data and all the rest of this you know, corporate high-level wranglings, it does relate directly to your business because if you're one of these you know, hundreds of thousands of agents that are still dependent on buyers or buying buyer leads, you really have to check yourself on that because there's really good uh, reasons to believe that the viability of building a business, let alone maintaining a business, 
from bought buyer leads is going to quickly evaporate. I strongly encourage every single one of you to at least seriously consider becoming a listing agent. What would it mean to your life? What would it mean to your cash flow? What would it mean to your stress level? What would it mean to your family life if you knew that because you'd reached your magic number of listings that you had consistent cash flow? At that point, and you know what? In many cases, this is where a lot of our coaching clients do when they reach their magic number, is they choose only to work with the, uh, the buyers that are the sellers of their listings. They don't want to work with buyers anymore. They want their weekends back. You know, guys, this is your choice. That's the beauty of this industry. That's the beauty of being a realtor right now is the fact that we are at the very beginning stages of what's going to be a long-term real estate boom. And you need to decide what you want your business to look like. A lot of people think that they have to, you know, essentially do their personal life around their business. You don't have to live like that. Have your business work to enforce your personal life, not the other way around. I mean, isn't that the whole point of being your own boss, essentially to have a better life? You know, a lot of you guys sacrifice too much. You give up too much for the sake of essentially what? Chasing buyers? Seriously consider using this as your opportunity. The fear of what might come or might not come because of the, uh, what we've been just breaking news that we shared with you today Really reach down deep and ask yourself, why is it that I'm hesitant to actually break the bond of buying buyer leads, and, and what do I have to do now to focus on actually becoming a listing agent? Julian, anything else you'd like to say to these guys? Yeah, I have one thought for them. You've got to go on vacation tomorrow. You've got 10 buyers wanting to see property, or you have 10 <laughs> listings. Who's going to have the more fun vacation? Who's going to actually be able to go on vacation? Hmm, just a thought, and I got to run to a coaching call. I think you do too, Tim. So I do, I do. So everyone, possible to change it? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, great, guys. So thanks. There's your breaking news for today. We're gonna have uh, Celeste Starchild from List Hub on tomorrow. So make sure you tune in. In the meantime, if you need us for anything, obviously go to timandjulieharris.com. Or if you need a free coaching call, we encourage you to request one at freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Have a fantastic day, and we'll talk with you on the radio tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.